Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see you and uh, to have you with us for worship this morning at WPC. Today we continue our summer series on the Lord's Prayer. So far we've explored who God is as a heavenly parent, and that to hollow God's name means to hollow one another and participate in God's mission of reaching out to those in need, and that we are to live into God's already and not yet present kingdom here and now. Today we turn to the third petition of the prayer, your will be done. The third petition, this petition here, is the final one about God, as the remaining ones will be about us. Give us our daily bread, forgive us, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. But the prayer begins, Jesus' prayer begins with three petitions about God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You may remember from last week that scholar N.T. Wright tells us that we are to transpose the ending of the section on all three. In other words, uh, on earth as it is in heaven, basically saying, God be among us here as you are God in heaven. In Greek, each of these petitions begin with the verb, hallowed, come, done, placing the emphasis on God's action. The petitions also all end with the same pronoun, you, which connects these phrases uh, poetically as a cohesive unit. So a more literal translation of the prayer in Greek might read, Hallowed be the name of you, come the kingdom of you, done the will of you. This first section on God in the prayer moves from a broad praise of God's name to a slightly more focused calling of God's kingdom to come, and then finally honing in on this overarching idea that God's overall will be done. All three of these petitions, in their own way, basically ask for God to be God. These petitions teach us how to pray, how to be in relationship with God, but they also help us to see how God is at work in our world. And so we come to this last petition in the first section here, Your will be done. To explore what it means to pray for God's will to be done, we turn to the gospel where this is Jesus' own prayer, just before his arrest and eventual crucifixion. In Mark and Matthew, this is the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, but in Luke, it's in the Mount of Olives. So I invite you now to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning with the 39th verse. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them, about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. 
When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them asleep because of grief. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Both of our readings this morning illustrate what it means to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Although they communicate slightly different meanings, I hope we'll see the connection of these two as we dive into the individual passages. We're going to start with our second lesson from Luke's Passion Narrative as Jesus himself prays before his arrest. As I said before, the Bible has two versions of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew's and Luke's. In Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, earlier in his Gospel, thy will be done is omitted from this prayer. Catholic scholar John Dominic Croson claims that Luke very well knew this was part of the Lord's Prayer when writing his Gospel, but he wanted to wait and include it until these words were the very words of Christ in prayer, to emphasize its importance when Jesus appears at his most human. Luke uses the same form of will and done in Greek as it is found in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. He pleads for God to remove this cup, this burden from him, but not his own will, but God's be done. So just what is the significance of praying for God's will to be done? I'll admit this is a line I've struggled with at times in my own faith journey, not because I didn't believe it, but more because I didn't really get what the significance of praying it was. I mean, if we claim God is all-powerful, why do we need to pray for God's will to be done? I mean, won't it be done anyways? I think we struggle with this, too, because the world we live in today tells us to be masters of our own fate, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. This isn't necessarily to say that we are without responsibility or action in our own lives. Praying for God's will isn't an admission of fatalism or determinism. But praying for God's will to be done, in a way at least, means surrendering our own will our own agendas, that we might be able to see God's kingdom breaking into our world here and now, and that we might participate in that reality. I think this is what Luke is communicating to us through Jesus' prayer before his arrest. In a moment of humanness, Jesus prays. He pleads with God to remove the cup, to remove this burden from him. He pleads his feelings and emotions into the prayer, but finishes with, Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus finishes his his, uh, very human prayer with a humbling statement, putting aside his own will that he might be open for what God is calling him to do. As Christians, we know where the story goes from here of Christ's arrest, crucifixion, and death. And it'll seem for a moment that the will of Rome, that the will of evil has won. But ultimately, it's the will of God that comes through victorious on Easter Sunday as Christ rises from the grave, defeating death and evil. I think in this way, praying for God's will to be done 
means checking our own egos and our own agendas at the door, that we too might participate in the kingdom of God. This is a tough one for us stubborn, fallible humans. We have a tendency of morphing the will of God into our own will, or transposing our own will into the will of God, binding the loving power of God into our own worldview. But friends, the will of God cannot be bound nor limited by any human category. The will of God is not a Nationals fan or an Orioles fan. The will of God is not liberal or conservative. Frankly, the will of God cannot be labeled or compartmentalized as we would like it to be. Further, friends, it's a will that we cannot fully know or comprehend, simply because it transcends our understanding. While we cannot fully understand God's will, we do have glimpses of it. And these are one and the same of God's kingdom from last week. Because we know that this is what God is working towards on earth as it is in heaven. An existence where division has ceased, death and pain and suffering are no more, but all are gathered together in God's loving kingdom. Friends, when we pray for God's will to be done, this means that we are laying down our own biases and agendas at the door, that we might discern and live into the will of God working towards this kingdom here and now in our own lives, community, and world. Now you may be saying, this is all well and good, but why then are bad things happening in our world? You know, wars, illness, hatred, death, why do bad things happen if God's will is alive and at work? Aren't these things too God's will? The short answer here is no. From the glimpse of God's kingdom we saw last week, we know that God's will is working towards a kingdom where death and pain are no more. From the glimpse of God's kingdom we had last week, we know that these things are God's enemies too. How we are to live into this kingdom, this will of God, leads us into the first lesson. Our liturgist, Bill Greener, read uh, for us this morning part of the Joseph story, part of the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph was one of 12 brothers of their father, Jacob, but Joseph was a favorite son. The brothers didn't take too kindly to this, and they sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. Joseph, though, prospers because of God's presence with him, and he becomes the right-hand man of Pharaoh having responsibility for all of Pharaoh's resources. Eventually, though, a famine comes through the land, and Joseph's family becomes hungry. So his brothers go to Egypt looking for food, which brings them back to their baby brother begging for help, only they don't recognize him at first. Our lesson today was Joseph revealing himself to his brothers, but more so revealing God's will prevailing through it all. Saying, saying this, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Later, Joseph will say, when forgiving his brothers, What you intended for evil, God intended for good. 
Do you hear it? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once famously said on this uh, note, The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. This is what praying for God's will to be done looks like. Hopeful, yet patiently awaiting and living into God's kingdom of justice, peace, and love. What the Joseph saga reveals is that God's will, God's purposes in this world will ultimately triumph. In this line of our Lord's Prayer, he doesn't teach us to provide a timeline for God's will to be done, but rather enlist our trust that ultimately it will happen. Former dean of the chapel at Duke, Will Willimon, says that thy kingdom come is a petition of hope, but thy will be done is a petition of patience. He claims further that these two postures of hopefulness and patience work hand in hand in the Christian life, keeping us hopeful for God's kingdom, but also patient as we await and live into its culmination. We'll continue to face hardships in this life, illness, suffering, injustice, But praying for God's will to be done allows us to see these things as God's enemies too. And it keeps us hopeful that one day all of these things will be wiped out for good. Friends, to pray for God's will to be done is a humbling reminder that ultimately God is in control. That God's will will be done, regardless of our attempts to do otherwise. It means checking our own egos and agendas at the door of prayer, that we might participate in the indwelling of God's kingdom here on earth. Finally, it it means remaining patiently hopeful as we live into this kingdom and work towards it as a people who ultimately know how our story will end. I'd like to close with a familiar verse from Paul's letter to the Romans that will charge us to pray these words of Christ, but also live into them patiently and hopefully as citizens of God's kingdom. Hear these words. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.